This is your morning wake-up call on Sports Country. Grab a cup of coffee and hang with us every weekday morning for the latest news, sports, and other things going on around the world and in your backyard. Now, here's your host, Gene Gums. Good morning, everybody. It is six minutes past nine o'clock here in Hayesville, North Carolina. Welcome to a Thursday morning wake-up call on Sports Country Radio. It is ridiculously cold here in the mountains. This morning on November the 2nd, it is 23 degrees. It is way, way too early. It is so cold out, I went outside this morning to let the chickens out of the coop, and they just looked at me like WTF. (laughs) It is brutal out there, but uh, uh, it is at least it's sunny out. Uh, World Series ended last night, and normally we would, of course, lead the show talking about the game last night, and we will get to it in a minute. Uh, but the uh, the big story, I guess you would have to say, is the passing of Bobby Knight. Uh, so you know, I, I wanted to take a few minutes uh, to talk about him this morning. Um, I I uh, mentioned on my tease for the show on Twitter this morning. I called him a complicated individual, and, and I got a comment uh, uh, back from someone and it was basically along the lines of uh, complicated why not just call a spade a spade he was a bully and there was that part of Bobby Knight there is no question about that but he you know all the antics you know the throwing the chair on the court and you know a lot of the other things that he did um you know, we're over the top, and and uh, to call him emotional would probably be the understatement of the century. But at the same time, there were sides of Bobby Knight that you have to admire. Uh, you know, for instance, this is a guy, ladies and gentlemen, uh, coached in the NCAA forever. Won 902 games. Never once was there any kind of a scandal or an NCAA violation in all the times that he coached at Indiana, at Army, at Texas Tech. He took a great pride in the high rate of graduation from his players. This is a guy that when he was at Indiana insisted that his base salary not be any larger than than uh, any of the other professors on campus. At Texas Tech, he gave back his salary a couple of years because he didn't think that he had earned it. You know, he always expected his players to not just exceed on the court, but in the classroom as well. Um, You know, so, yeah, he could be a royal jerk. There's other words you could use. <laughs> but 
he cared about his players. He cared about their success. He cared about the schools that he worked for. So you have to admire that part. And, by the way, the man could flat-out coach. You know, this is a guy that took over an Indiana team that wasn't very good. And made them good in a short time. His 1976 team went undefeated. 32-0. and In a two-year span, they were 63-1. and By the way, that's the last time uh, a major college basketball team went undefeated. Um, you know, look, we're all, <laughs> we're all complicated, aren't we? Um, you know, I mean, I've had my moments where you, you know, and as a coach, I had my moments. I mean, I never threw, a, I never threw a chair, uh, you know, uh, but we all lose our cool from time to time, whether you're a coach or whether you're not a coach. Make no mistake, Bobby Knight was very, very intelligent. This is a guy that was a voracious reader, was a student of history, world history, military history. Um, you know, but he could be a jerk. P- Peter Abraham, my friend that I've known, God, since the, the, the mid-'90s, Back in Norwich, Connecticut, when he got his start working for a little paper called the Norwich Bulletin and now is the uh, uh, the beat writer for the Boston uh, Red Sox with the Globe. Told a story about how he was in Alaska covering UConn. And uh, it was the same company, Gannett, that owned uh, the, the, uh, uh, the Boston Globe, also owned paper in Indianapolis. They didn't have somebody there, so they wanted him to um, do uh, to cover the Indiana game against, against Alaska Anchorage. They ended up winning the game over Alaska Anchorage, a Division II team. They almost got beat. They won the game by five. And Pete said, after the game, it's like, you know, he, there, were, there were other Indiana reporters there. He thought for yelling at him and everything else. He did eventually kind of answer the question, but that's just, you know, but there were other times that he was funnier than hell. In press conferences, and he could poke fun at his his himself game that Indiana was in, and um, so my job was to uh, to run the press conference, you know, and to to get him in there and to get the players in there, and um, and and I you know, and you know, fortunately in this game, you know, Indiana had, uh, you know, and he would, he would kind of call him out, but he would, he would be smiling when he did it, you know, like what kind of a dumbass question is that? And he's smiling, but then he'd answer the question anyway. Um, so that was my only experience that I ever had with him. But, you know, again, it was just, but, but there are people, you know, look, Bobby Knight, if you look at, at his coaching tree, you know, he, he gave Mike Shashevsky his start, you know, um, and and you, you look at at you know he took over the Army program. He was twenty four years old as a head coach. 
But there are so many people coaching in college and coaching in the NBA that owe their start to him. He's the last guy, by the way, that coached an Olympic team that was a bunch of amateurs. 1984 in Los Angeles. They won the gold medal. And uh, he got a lot of heat because he kept Steve Alford on that team. He cut Charles Barkley and John Stockton, the guys that ended up going on to the NBA Hall of Fame. But, I mean, that look, you know, that was a team that was loaded. And I saw a clip on Twitter the other day and uh, or yesterday about uh, about him and some of the things that uh, uh, trying to get uh, Michael Jordan fired up. And, uh, you know, I mean, he could be a great speaker. Um, and, and, again, you, you – uh, I, a friend of mine, uh, Pete Broca, who I coached with at the U.S. Coast Guard Academy and at Western New England, I was on his staff, he would go to clinics. Um, every time Bobby Knight had a clinic, he would go for a coach's clinic. And there were times that he would call Bobby Knight and say, hey, can I come to practice? And he would drive to Indiana for a couple of days to watch Indiana's practices, and he would take notes about how Bob Knight ran his practices. That's the kind of impact he had. And, you know, my my friend Pete wasn't the only one that did that. You know, and, and there were plenty of scandals. I mean, there's no question about that. He was, you know, he was convicted of in absentia of uh, hitting a police officer in Puerto Rico during the Pan Am Games. Uh, there was an exhibition game he was coaching in the Soviet Union. Uh, he had gotten a third technical foul, and he pulled his team off the court. Um, he was accused of headbutting a player one time. Uh, you know, the downfall to him really was uh, in 1997. There was video of him, and it showed that he had his hands around the neck of one of his players. And... Uh, it eventually led to his firing because after that, you know, when, when the, the video came out, the president of the university, Miles Brand, said there's a zero tolerance policy. So then a couple of years later, you know, he'd won a game and uh, it, some kids passing him in the corridor and said, you know, what's up, Knight? And Bobby Knight grabbed the kid, grabbed his arm and dressed him down, you know, about, about respect and about manners. Well, of course, that got back to the president, and they fired him for that. Students were pissed. I mean, they, they tore down the goalposts at the stadium. Remember that? Um, and it caused a rift. You know, Miles Brand wound up being the uh, NCAA president eventually. But after that, Bobby Knight refused to go back to Indiana. It wasn't until, I think, 2020 he ended up going back um, and uh, – for halftime of a game, and a lot of his former players were there, and that kind of uh, healed old wounds. Of course, by then Miles Brand had died, and uh, but it was uh, it was something I think that uh, uh, was the closure that Bobby Knight needed. Of course, and you know, if, if you remember, after he left Texas Tech, he went to work for ESPN for a little while as an analyst. He was actually pretty good. I think he stayed with them for. Five or six years, they parted ways with him eventually. But I thought he was pretty good on television because he's not afraid to to call it the way it is. So uh, he was 83 years old. Um, 
unapologetic, the general they called him. It was a great nickname. Um, you know, in in some ways, you know, it's funny. They called him the general, and I was thinking about this last night, and I'm a, I'm a military history nerd. You know, I, I subscribe to uh, World War II History Magazine. That's what kind of nerd I am. I have a huge uh, history library in, in my office. Um, but when I was thinking about it, I was reading my World War II History Magazine, and there's a story in there about George Patton and, and one of the things that one of his armies had done at, at Bastogne. And I was thinking about it, and I was like, Bob Knight was George Patton on the basketball court. You know, George Patton was a guy who famously loved loved war because it gave him meaning. And he loved the people that served under him. But he could also be mercurial. He could also he's a guy that famously when a guy was, you know, in the hospital suffering from what they called shell shock at the time, slapped the guy trying to snap him out of it. You know, um and could and and would fly off the handle at his uh, you know his superior officers and you know he was a very difficult general but he was really really good. Bobby Knight was the same way, so I think that you know you think about it. I think that nickname, the general, was probably exact the exact right nickname for him. Um, but at the end of the day, I mean, he's got. You know, until Mike Shashevsky passed him, um, I can't remember when he passed his wins record, but he did eventually do that. Uh, he was the winningest coach in college basketball history. And uh, his son, is uh, Pat, is still coaching. I think he coaches at Lamar now. Um, but, you know, it, it's very easy today. You know, and, and it's it's so strange, you know, it and I think the reactions to him on social media are pretty much the exact way his entire career was. You either love the guy or you hate him. The people on social media are either praising the genius that was Bob Knight and, you know, uh, posting clips of some great speeches that he gave or some of the funny press conferences that he gave. And then other people that want to demonize him are posting all the bad things that he did and showing all the, uh, you know, the a-hole things that he did because there were plenty of both. You know, and, and that's how he lived his life. But at the end of the day, the thing I will say about Bob Knight is, A, he was just, he was a great coach it doesn't mean he was the perfect human being but when it came to the sport of basketball he was an innovator and you know he was the gold standard and the fact that he held his players to a standard not just on the court but in the classroom in a day an age where the term student athlete has kind of become passe and that, you know, we have all these one and done athletes. Now they come to, you know, colleges to play basketball for one year and then go into the NBA where school really doesn't matter anymore. You know, now what matters is the NIL. How much money can I make as an athlete before I go pro? And of course, you know, which is a joke considering that, you know, 99% of the kids that play sports in college don't go to play pro in anything, but you know, still, the fact that he held his kids to a standard, made them go to class, made sure that they graduated, that's admirable. 
Was he perfect? No. But there, I, I, I believe that there were more good things about Bob Knight than there were bad things. He just is a man. He he was a man that I don't know if you say. You, maybe you say he has anger issues. I, I I don't know, but he was a man that uh, uh, that had that side to him, and that at times he had difficulty holding that in. Remember, he was actually in a movie too. He was he made a cameo. Um, in the movie Anger Management. Who better? Who better, right? So anyway, uh, Bob Knight passed away uh, at the age of 83 yesterday. Uh, the World Series last night, the Texas Rangers get it over with in five, and the only thing I have to do now is kind of look around and go, now what? Yeah, I mean, that guy, I mean, look, I have this uh, this show, and I like other sports, but to me, there's baseball, and then there's everything else. You know, I mean, uh, you know, I, I like watching the the NFL. I like watching the NHL. Not so much the NBA. Um, I love college basketball, but to me, it's all just taking time until you know uh, the next what f- five or four months, about four and a half months before spring training starts. So, so I'm kind of I'm kind of adrift here, and now I I get ready to uh, to watch the uh, the hot stove, and let the free agent frenzy begin. And Craig Breslow appropriately has his introductory press conference in Boston today, the new head of baseball operations for the Red Sox, and we get to hear a little bit of his plan. I mean, we know that the Red Sox have to add pitching. That's the no-brainer. So, but I hope he has more to say than we're going to add pitching. I hope he, you know, I'll be very curious. And as thoughtful and as intelligent as he is, I'm sure he will come in there um, with a little bit more uh, substance than that. But last night's game was, um, you know, the final score was 5 nothing, but it wasn't a 5 nothing game. This was a, This was a great game. It was a fun game. I mean, Zach Gallen, who had to win this game to try to push it to a game six, get it back to Texas, threw a no-hitter for six innings. Six innings. I mean, we're going into the seventh. It's a nothing-nothing game. He outpitched Nate Evaldi, even though Evaldi didn't give up anything. Nate gave up. It, Nate walked five guys and gave up four hits in six innings. He was walking a tightrope the entire game through 97 pitches, somehow got out of trouble time after time after time. And yet here's Zach Gallen just cruising along through six, comes back out for the seventh, gives up a little bleeder hit that uh, Corey Seager barely made contact with, and it goes through the – they had kind of shifted over towards second base. There's a hole on the left side, goes through into the outfield, and there's the first hit of the game. And then the floodgates just absolutely open. So after after Seeger gets that, uh, Carter follows with a double. And uh, it's all over, right? Because then Marcus Simeon hits a bomb. And all of a sudden, it's 5 nothing, And it's all over, right? Paul Seawald comes on and... Seawall can't do anything in the ninth inning. It's unbelievable. You know, Gallon gives up that one run, and it's one nothing. 
and Ginkle does a good job. He gets himself in some trouble, gets out of trouble. But then when Seawall comes in and gives up that bomb to, to Semyon, it's over. Paul Seawall hadn't pitched since he had blown a save earlier in the series. Paul Seawall, who was great in the regular season, came over to Arizona in a trade late in the season. Uh, this is a guy that pitched, uh, had a 1-1-5 whip all season. Right? I mean, he was great. He wasn't as good in Arizona as he was with Seattle prior to the trade. But he was really good. And he, you know, the World Series just was not kind to him. And and you felt bad for him. I saw somebody on on, uh, Twitter last night just says, I just want to give him a hug. You know? And and here's the thing. At the end of the day, what Seawald gave up, in the ninth inning, doesn't matter because Arizona never scored. This game could have ended one nothing as easily as it ended 5 nothing, right? I mean, Savores came on out of the bullpen and threw two and a third innings, struck out four, only gave up one hit. You know, and, and Corey Seager wins the MVP of the, uh, of the series and, you know, uh, it's a you know it was a tough call. Who are you going to give it to? Because I mean Corey Seager only hit 286, but he had some huge hits in this thing. But it could have easily have gone to Marcus Semyon. You probably could have given it to Nate Evaldi, although that would have been a bit of a stretch. Um, if uh, if if uh, they hadn't had the injury, you know. Maybe it's somebody different, in, you know, instead of Travis Jankowski in right field. But they still get it over with in five, But and Seager's the MVP, and Bruce Bochy wins his fourth World Series title. Um, he's going to the Hall of Fame. He's 68 years old. Um, you know, he, he joins a very short list of guys that uh, have won four titles. Casey Stengel and Joe McCarthy, of course, won seven apiece. Connie Mack won five. We're going way back. Walter Alston, the old uh, manager of the Dodgers, won four. And, of course, Joe Torre won four. It's a very short list of guys that have won that many. And, by the way, uh, Seager joins a li- – there are only four players – in Major League Baseball history that have won two World Series MVP awards. Sandy Koufax, Bob Gibson, and Reggie Jackson. That's it. Seager, of course, won it in 2020 with the Dodgers. So, you know, look, uh, now there's only five teams left in Major League Baseball that have not won a title. Um, I'm sad that it didn't go seven because I always like to see the series go seven because I love that game seven drama, but I'm also sad because... Now I don't have baseball for four and a half months. <laughs> My wife is ready to do a cartwheel. But I, however, am a little despondent this afternoon or this morning. It's 30 minutes past the hour. We're going to take a break. We'll be back in a minute. You're listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It is 32 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to the Wake Up Call here on a Thursday morning. Interesting story that came out yesterday. The San Diego Padres were forced to take out a loan of $50 million to make payroll. Um, (laughs) 
And this is after working in the offseason to make sure that they had the third highest payroll in baseball. Now, I, you, on the one hand, you go, holy crap. <laughs> on the And, and there, there you called it a, a short-term cash flow issue. <laughs> um, so on the one hand, you go, wow. But the, on the other hand, this is, you know, it's fairly common, right, for, you know, businesses to take out loans, not maybe not 50 mil, but um, so, you know, and, and there's no indication that, you know, that the, the Padres are about to go bankrupt. What's interesting, though, is that the Padres had to petition Major League Baseball to even be allowed to take out this loan. And they wanted to take out a loan of $100 million. And Major League Baseball said, no, we'll, we'll, we'll approve 50 because we think that's enough. Um, <laughs> the Padres' payroll this past season was $249 million. And, of course, in the offseason, you know, they signed, what, Xander Bogarts for, you know, 11 years, $280 bucks. They gave uh, – they extended Manny Machado for $350 bucks. Uh You Darvish as well for $90 bucks the previous year, so he's making 30 plus million a year. Um, and it was an unmitigated disaster. They didn't even make the playoffs. I mean, just like the way the Mets bet all the money. Now, not that Steve Cohen needs to take out a loan, you know, with all the money that he's got. But so for what San Diego did, they didn't even make the playoffs. And yet, and now they got to take out a loan and they have a cash flow problem. So now if you're a Padre fan, you're going, well, hell. What happens now? I mean, are we going to see some kind of a fire sale? Um, you know, who knows? I mean, they already, their payroll for next year already committed is $156 million. And that's for, uh, this is the part that's crazy. $156 million for next year and almost all of it's to five guys, Bogarts, Machado, Darvish, Fernando Tatis Jr., and Joe Musgrove. And that doesn't even count what they're going to have to pay in arbitration to guys. I mean, for instance, Juan Soto made $23 million last year, which is monopoly money. For you know, I mean, it's like it's hard to even fathom that. Well, he's going to get more than that in arbitration this year. Because he's not eligible for free agency yet, so uh, guys that aren't eligible for that, they they can you know file for arbitration, and the club will submit one figure. Their they and their agent will submit another figure, and then the arbiter will decide uh, what what they get. And they can't. By the way, the arbiter cannot go and say we're going to split the difference. It's either one figure or the other, and more often than not, the players seem to win. So. You know, so they're already in the hole, and there have been rumors that they are shopping Juan Soto. This is Juan Soto's last year pre of arbitration, and um, he could become a free agent at the end of next year. So there has been talk that he might be on the market, and the the Red Sox. I, you know, of course, you know, all the big name teams are always going to be linked to these big time free agents because they're the ones that can afford them. And I know when when 
Craig Breslow comes in to give his press conference today, somebody's probably going to ask him about Soto, but he's not going to be able to comment on that. And they're not, you know, they're not going to give that away. And the question is, is, you know, what would they have to give the Padres to get Juan Soto? Look, Juan Soto is only 25 years old. Juan Soto is a generational player. This kid is really, really good. But here's the problem, okay? The Red Sox are overloaded with outfielders. Even if you go under the assumption that they're going to trade Alex Verdugo, which I think is a foregone conclusion, right? You still have what Jaron Duran did this year, right? I mean, so he's he's penciled in. You signed Yoshida to a, a long-term contract. Now, he's not a great left fielder, but, you know, he's also not a full-time DH either. You know, and because the Red Sox are going to have to decide if they keep Justin Turner, who's better off at DH, that means Yoshida's got to play left field. Well, then you still have Sedan Raffaello, who you want to play. William Abreu came up this year, they think, is ready to play. So, you know, if they trade Verdugo, then they have Adam Duvall, which, you know, it was a one-year deal, so they're not going to re-sign him probably because of the young kids. But if you bring in Juan Soto, what do you then do? Does that mean you're trading one of those outfit, young outfielders, like a Duran or a Rafaela or or, or a uh, an Abreu, as part of the deal to get Juan Soto, is you know is uh, uh, Alex Verdugo part of that package? I don't know, but I will say this because the Red Sox have also been linked to Shohei Otani. And this might be sacrilege, and people might think that I'm crazy, but I would much rather see the Red Sox trade and try to extend Juan Soto. Because, by the way, I'm not making a trade for Juan Soto unless I know I can get an extension before I make that trade. Because if I'm making that trade to get Juan Soto for a year before he hits the free agent market, I'm not doing it. But if I can get him in a trade... And he and his agent will, you know, agree to a, an extension for you know, like five to seven years. Then I'm doing it because this kid is really, really good. And I'd rather have him than Otani for the following reason. Yes, Shohei Otani can hit a lot of home runs. Guess what? So can Juan Soto. Now, Juan Soto can't pitch. I get that. But Otani can't pitch in 2024. And this is a guy now that has had arm troubles twice and has had to have surgery twice, which is why the reason, by the way, why he doesn't play the outfield anymore. Remember when he first came over here, he played right field in addition to being a pitcher. Now he's strictly a DH. So if I can get Juan Soto for less money than Shohei Otane, and I can get Juan Soto and he can play the outfield, which Otani can't do, and the Red Sox, if they bring Otani in as a DH, well, that means that that you're not going to be DHing Yoshida, except in games where Otani is pitching, and and that means that you're not bringing back Justin Turner, and I kind of would like to see them do that. Now I understand, you know, Justin Turner is going to be 39 years old. I get that. But I'm not convinced that Otani is going to end up being a pitcher in the long run. I'm not convinced that at some point, 
after two surgeries on that elbow, that that arm isn't just going to give out one day, and that's going to be the end of it. Soto is four years younger. You can probably get Soto for about $10 million a year less. Um, it's, I, I, and this is nothing to say. This isn't to say that Shohei Otani is not a special player. And, you know, I, I get all that. But I think I would rather have Juan Soto if I can get him and get him extended. And that's providing that the Padres even want to trade him, but I don't see how they don't. At this point, looking at that payroll, the way that they are, already at $156 million without the arbitration figure from Soto, which you got to figure is going to be somewhere between 25 and $30 million. So you're already looking at close to 190 For six guys, you got to, I mean, you got to fill out the rest of your lineup. You know, and that means that they can't afford to try to keep Blake Snell, who is going onto the free agent market. Michael Waka, who they had, who pitched well for them, is going on the free agent market. I mean, they, they've got a lot of decisions to make, and they can't afford to pay everybody. So my guess is, is somebody's getting traded, and I think Juan Soto is the most likely uh, target for that. You know, and I don't know what the no-trade clauses are, but I can't believe that they would have. I believe Xander Bogarts has a full no-trade. I could be wrong on that. I, I'm, I'm not positive. Um, but I got to think, and I got to think Machado is probably the same way or some kind of a limited no-trade. You know, and Machado's numbers weren't great, you know, and, and so I got to think that Soto's the one that makes the most sense. So, uh, you know, I'm hoping if the, if the Padres are serious about that, I'm hoping the Red Sox have already called the Padres and kicked the tires. You know, a lot of people say have said, you know, you got to get Otani here. You got to get Otani here. Look, here's the, you know, everybody is going to want Juan Soto. Everybody's going to want Otani. Um, but Otani is the guy that is the crown jewel, I guess you would say. And supposedly he is the Dodgers' number one target. Now, it doesn't mean that John Henry and the Red Sox can't afford him because they sure as hell can. It's just a question of how far over that luxury tax they are willing to go this coming year. You know, one thing is for sure. If you have Jaron Duran out there, if you have, you keep one of those other young outfielders. And don't forget, you still have Rob Refsnyder, who you you gave a contract to, so he's already got a contract for this year. You know, when you look at all this, you know, they've got some young talent, you know, Christian Casas isn't making a lot of money right now. Neither's Connor Wong. You know, so they have the benefit of having some young kids that aren't making huge money so they can take on some salary. So we'll see what happens. We'll see how uh how much they want to be able to uh to dip into that, but we we've got to see what the Padres want to do first, but I would be shocked if Juan Soto is in a Padres uniform. Uh, come the start of the 2024 season. 45 minutes past the hour. we got to take one more break. We're back in a minute. You're listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It is 46 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to The Wake Up Call. 
here on a Thursday morning. Don't forget, coming up tomorrow, Dan Zampano will join us to talk NFL football. Of course, lots of stuff going on uh, with that. We have Thursday night football tonight. Uh, it is going to be interesting tonight uh, watching Will Levis take on the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, Levis, who had that uh, great start, I thought he might be traded. Or not he would be traded. I thought he was going to be the starter going forward. Uh, I thought Ryan Tannehill was going to get traded at the trade deadline. It turns out he didn't. The Vikings ended up going for Josh Dobbs um, from Arizona instead. Uh, but the big NFL news uh, the last couple of days, of course, was that uh, Josh McDaniels got fired from the Raiders along with the GM, Dave Ziegler. Uh, not a huge shock there. Uh, matter of fact, we talked on the air with Dan last Friday about that, about you know how short the leash was. Well, we found out how short. Um, after getting embarrassed last week, uh, they got the axe. Look, um, I'm not sure Josh McDaniels is ever going to get another chance to coach in the NFL. Uh, I really don't. Uh, in his uh, tenure between uh, in Denver, he was 11 and 17 in Denver, and nine and 16 in Las Vegas. So what? Uh, 20 wins and uh, 33 losses. He, you know, I mean, his as much as people thought his time in Denver was a disaster, his time in with the Raiders was worse. And uh, you know, he just may be one of those guys who is better off being a coordinator. I, I don't know, um, but uh, so McDaniel's is out, and he. And by the way, um, He's the first non-interim coach in the Super Bowl era to be fired by two franchises before the end of his second year. I'm not sure that's the kind of history you want to be making. Um, so they uh, they have announced that Antonio Pierce, who is their linebackers coach, is going to take over as the interim coach. Uh, and his first game, of course, will be this uh, weekend. They have a home game against the Giants, a winnable game, although Daniel Jones will be back for the Giants um, and Pierce, by the way, played for the Giants uh, from 2005 to 2009. Um, and then uh, Mike Lombardi is probably going to take over the uh, play-calling duties. McDaniels did that for the Raiders, but uh, Lombardi is the offensive coordinator, so he'll probably be calling the plays. But um, and the they're going to be a new, they're going to have a new starting quarterback this weekend. Uh, the, you know, look, Jimmy Garoppolo is a guy that McDaniels wanted. And it didn't work out. So he's been benched, and they've got a new coach. They've got an, or, or at least an interim coach, a new interim GM, a new uh, play caller. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see what happens on Sunday uh, with the Giants at Las Vegas. Uh, NBA basketball last night. The Celtics are off to an unbelievable start. Uh, look, everybody, they're the, they are the odds-on favorites to win the Eastern Conference and, and go back to the NBA Finals. Uh, they're off to a 4-0 start. They beat the Pacers last night 155, 155 to 104. That is the second highest total in team history. They scored uh, 173 back in the 58-59 season against the Minneapolis Lakers. I think George Mikan was playing for them. Uh, that's how long ago that was. Um and, you know, this is the second straight game that the Celtics have had where they have not had to play their big guys, big minutes. Nobody on the Celtics roster 
played more than 27 minutes last night. Jason Tatum had 30 points in 26 and a half minutes. Uh, they shot you know, 57% from the field, 57% from three, 96% from the They were 27 of 28 from the free throw line. They couldn't do anything wrong last night. It was ridiculous. Um, and, you know, Drew Holiday, the, you know, the new point guard for the Celtics, said it perfectly at the end of the game last night. He said, look, with all the talent that we have, who are you going to guard? He's 100% right. Look, all five guys who started for the Celtics last night were in double figures. Pritchard had 15 off the bench. Hauser had 17 off the bench in 19 minutes. I mean, it's just, it's crazy. You know, I mean, uh, and to be able to give these guys rest, I'm telling you, I mean, I know we're four games into the season. We can't get carried away. There's 76 games left. I get it. But, man, this team is really, really good. And the people, the team that everybody thinks is going to be their biggest competition this year, the Milwaukee Bucks, uh, off to a bit of a rough start. They lost last night to the Raptors, 130-111. to uh, so they're just two and two to start the season. Um, you know the Miami Heat again, a team that everybody thought was uh, going to be uh, the team maybe to uh, to challenge in the Eastern Conference. The Miami Heat are one and four. They lost last night to the Brooklyn Nets, one hundred nine to one hundred five. So the Celtics firing on all cylinders, and uh, looks like that there's no stopping this team unless the only thing stopping the Celtics right now, honestly, and and you know, God forbid, is injuries. That's it. I mean, that's how good they are. Uh, the Bruins will play tonight. They've got a uh, home game against the uh, Toronto Maple Leafs. It is the uh, end of a four-game homestand for the Bruins. And, of course, they will uh, be without Charlie McAvoy for the next four games because uh, he got suspended uh, after that a big hit against Florida that uh, up around the head. And so he got fined and suspended. Uh, Matt Grizzlick also out of the game tonight. He got he suffered an injury in the last game. So they're a little bit shorthanded, but uh, uh, I, I expect that this, uh, this should be another another win for them tonight. The good news is um, uh, uh, Patra, Matt Patra, the young uh, 18-year-old kid, is not going to end up going back to the minor leagues. Uh, he is going to stick with the uh, Bruins for the rest of the year, which I think is really cool. Uh, the kid is very, very talented. Uh, and has not seemed overmatched at all. You know, he's a little bit undersized, but he's going to get bigger. But he's, uh, what, he's got, I think, six points uh, already this season, which is, I think, in the top five or six among rookies in the NHL. Um, The Ottawa Senators in the NHL fired their general manager yesterday. Oh, my God, this this is about as bad as it gets. Um, They fired him after the NHL has decided that the Ottawa Senators – have to forfeit their first-round draft pick because the Senators' GM, uh, Pierre Doran, botched a trade. Last year, they traded uh, Evgeny Dadanoff to Vegas, right, in July of 2021. And they neglected to also supply Vegas with the list of 10 teams that were on Dadnoff's no trade lift trade list. So after Vegas makes the trade, right? They tried to trade him a year a year later or actually late in the 2022 season 
um, to the Ducks, to Anaheim. And the NHL nixed the trade because he hadn't waived his no-trade clause to Anaheim, and uh, Vegas had no idea there was a no-trade clause. They wouldn't have traded for him in the first place. So because of that, uh, they couldn't make the trade. He stayed with them for the rest of the year and eventually got traded to Montreal at the end of the season. And because of the, I mean, think about this for a second. This is this would be like you know, uh, you know, you're the New England Patriots and you stunk so bad. You've got the first round draft pick coming up in the uh, in the upcoming draft. But oh, wait a minute, you did something illegal, and so now you no longer have that first round pick. Can you imagine the furor? I mean, the only thing saving. You know, that this isn't a bigger story is two things. A, it's the NHL, and it doesn't get the attention the other major sports do. And B, it's in Ottawa. Can you imagine if it was the Bruins or the New York Rangers? Oh, my God. There'd be an explosion. So, uh, unfortunately for Pierre Doran, it has cost him uh, his job, and that's just just absolutely brutal. Losing a first-round draft pick because you can't dot all the I's and cross all the T's. That is going to do it for us here this morning. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition of the Wake Up Call. Dan Zampano uh, will join us at 9.15 tomorrow to talk uh, NFL football, give us his picks for the upcoming week. We leave you this morning with some music from J.D. Souther. It's J.D.'s uh, 76th birthday. This uh, This was probably his biggest hit. It's called You're Only Lonely. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country.